All right, all right, all right. It's a good problem when the two minutes is up and you're not done. That means we love each other. Now take your seats. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to New Life Friday night. Uh, we are in week four of our series, going through the book of First Timothy. Last week was a, a, a great one, a wild one, a fun one. Uh, I think a moment in time where we tackled a really difficult text and cleared a bunch of the debris away, and we're seeing the women of God among us rise up in fresh strength, and I thank God for it. Um, one quick announcement for next week, we've got a guy called Tyler Staten coming to preach. Tyler Staten is the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. Some of you know John Mark Comer. Uh, Tyler took over the church for John Mark Comer in the last couple years, and Tyler's going to be here preaching next Friday night with us. He's becoming a dear friend. He's a great man of God. You won't want to miss it. So mark your calendar if you're in town and haven't left yet for Thanksgiving. Come see us next Friday night. Uh, what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first 13 verses. And before I get launched, let me just give a bit of context. Especially if you heard last week the talk on women and how women from the Old Testament to the New Testament have been leaders in the church. Uh, you're going to hear Paul talk about men as leaders. And that's because he's correcting some of the wildness going on in the Ephesian church. So he's going to talk about leaders, elders, deacons here. Uh, but have a little context that there are women deacons in the New Testament. So when Paul is talking to men here, he's just talking specifically to this Ephesian church. A little context, okay? So don't, don't shut down on me half of the room. I don't want half of the room shutting down on me after I talked about women last week. And now you're folding your arms going, screw this guy, you know? Um, First Timothy chapter three, the first 13 verses, we'll read it and then we'll pray. It says this, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Little parenthetical question there from Paul. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Kind of a big deal. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. So he's talking about overseers or bishops. And then deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. And those who serve, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith 
in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us again tonight? Would you help us? Would you wake us up? It's dark at five o'clock. It's easy to shut down. Would you wake us up? Would you speak to us tonight? Would you teach us tonight? I pray that we would see things that we haven't yet seen in the reading of scripture. We pray that tonight would be inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that I would decrease so that you might increase. As the preacher, let me not say anything that gets in the way or that clutters things up. Lord, I pray that you would, you would thunder here with your voice. We pray, Lord, that you would heal us tonight as we hear the word, that you would strengthen us tonight, that you would challenge us. And we pray, make us your people, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said... Amen. Have you ever been involved with something that had zero organization? No leadership. It was just a cluster. Like you walked in. It was like a kid's field trip at the school. You're trying to get the kids on the bus and there's just 75 parents there who don't know what they're doing. And everyone thinks that they're it just, you've been to a soccer practice with the little kids. You know, it's like trying to herd cats on hallucinogenic drugs, you know. <laughs> It, it, it's, everyone's running everywhere and there's no organization and, and it just, anyone walk in, you've been to the DMV maybe. Now I gotta say, the DMV is crushing it right now over there at Union. They, they have stepped up their game, thank God. We got, a, we got a sister here in the church who helps run that place and it's working, right? Thank you. But let's talk about five years ago, okay? DMV five years ago, you know, circa 2017. Like, have you ever been in a situation where there was no leadership, no direction, no organization? And I'll just say that anything that's going to last and anything that's going to make a difference in the world has got to be organized. It's got to be structured. It has to be led. It has to be led well. Leadership, all of our lives are marked by the shaping influence of leadership. Good and bad. If anything's going to last, if anything's going to make a difference, if anything's going to bear fruit, there must be leadership. All of our lives have been touched. Think about parents and grandparents who have been our leaders. Think about Sunday school teachers or neighbors, you know, parents that were in you, on your street that helped shape your life. And maybe your parents weren't as involved as they would have wanted to be or as you would have wanted them to be, but you had that next door neighbor lady who was just kind of the mother hen for you and she helped guide you into green pastures. There was the shaping influence of leadership, the, the teachers in your life, the professors in your life, maybe a school counselor came along when you were 18 and pointed you in the right direction and helped shape your future. Band directors and coaches, high school sports or college sports, we've got national and state and local politicians who are a part of leadership in our lives and everything that's going to last and everything that's going to make a difference will have to have leadership. And Jesus knows this, and Jesus, when he launches his ministry, what does he do? He gathers 12 people, and a much larger group than that even, 72, and then there's 500. He gathers a crew of people around him, and he appointed 12 leaders, and he trained them. Their work, the 12, included instructing and preaching and praying for the sick and receiving alms to distribute to the poor. They were adjudicating disputes. They were dealing with accusations within the church. They were helping people who were trapped in sin. They were listening to people's lives, which is a lost art today. 
journeying with folks in their despair. They were shepherding the saints towards safe pasture and they were welcoming the outsider into the family of God. Jesus launches his ministry and he being the son of God does not run around as a lone ranger just kind of doing party tricks. He, gathers an, he begins to gather a crew of people and he commissions people and disciples them and trains them up to go out and to be the leaders. And then he says, when the spirit is poured out, you'll leave Jerusalem and go to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost bounds of the earth to go lead the world into the goodness of God. Jesus is not afraid of leadership. And Paul understands how important leadership is in the church. And that's what we're looking at tonight in this text. Paul understands the threat that faces the church in this moment in time. Some of the Ephesian elders, he's talking about elders and deacons here and leaders in the church because some of the Ephesian elders were teaching error and heresy and they were creating their little side cults and they would borrow people from the church and then pull them over to the side and kind of work their deal and take their money and, and lead them astray. And Paul rebukes those bad leaders Paul is also, in this last text you know, that we read last week, he was correcting some of the women who were experiencing freedom in Christ, but they were just too free. And they had bad muscle memory worshiping at the temple of Artemis. And Paul is getting their lives in order so that they can lead the church forward into the future. So what does Paul say about leaders and what does he ache for when it comes to leadership? Paul, he talks about two groups, the episkopos, that's the Greek word, the overseers or the bishops. And he says that the episkopos should be aneleptos, aneleptos. They should be above reproach. That your leaders, your bishops, your overseers, the ones who are standing up in the house of God should not be shady characters. They should be above any accusation. Their lives should be clean. Your leaders need to have clean lives. He talks about the, the, the diakonos, the, the deacons. The, and he says the word that he uses for them, what they should be. Like, you know, there's lots of leaders in the church. So, so the, the bishops and the overseers are kind of the ones who organize. And then the diakonos are the ones who are kind of doing the work day in, day out with the people of God. And he says that they should be semnos. The word that he uses is semnos, which is dignified. Semnos in the Greek means a manner or mode of behavior that indicates one is sane, solid, stately, and worthy of special respect. Have you ever been around someone who's semnos? Have you ever been around a dignified person? Someone who walks in the room and the room kind of tilts. Wow. There's composure, there's peace. They walk into storms and they are a peace be still. Have you ever been around one of those people? I've been in hospital rooms where there's chaos and someone with some dignity, someone with some semnos, they walk in and, and, and there's some sanity that's restored, some collective deep breath that's brought into the room. And Paul says that your leaders ought to carry that kind of gravitas, that kind of dignity. A, a dignified elder or deacon is someone whose life is worth emulating. And Paul says, pray. <laughs> and he's doing the work to train them up through Timothy, but he's saying to the larger church body, pray that God would give you leaders that are, are, are dignified, that are stately, that are simple, that are sane, that are clean, that are trustworthy, that know how to step into a room and be a peace be 
still. Gosh, we need this in the world we live in. We've seen it this week in, the, in all the election cycle. We, I don't see many people out there saying, peace be still. I don't see many people who carry that. I see a lot of people who, who have to stir up and kick the hornet's nest to get more press. People who want to fight and, and post sarcastic, like anyone, are you watching what's happening around us? We need some people who've got some dignity. We need some people who've got some composure. We need some people who can smile. We need some people who can speak plainly and speak truthfully, who can be trusted, as Paul says, who are not lovers of money. Jesus, give us some people like that. Some people with dignity. But the mistake that we make is thinking that this text that we've just read is just for church leadership. We read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, we go, yeah, give us a few of those. We need a few more Moseses, you know. Give us another prophet to rise up and to lead us forward. And, and yeah, you're right, Daniel, that's what we need. We need a few really great leaders. And, and, and you, you go up and talk to God for us and tell us what he says and come back down and we'll sort of snap too. And I'll just say that's not what Paul is saying here. We don't need just a few more really great leaders. What Paul's stated purpose of the letter is, Paul gives us his thesis statement here at the end of this chapter in 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. He says, I hope to come to you soon. He's locked up, he's, he's trapped, he can't get out. So he's writing this letter. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, here's his statement of purpose for the entire letter. So that if I delay, you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Let me teach you how to act right. Let me teach you how to be in the world. Let me teach you how to carry the name of Jesus into the uttermost bounds of the earth. Let me teach you in a culture where Artemis, Artemis' temple, it's just all adrenaline and it's all perverse sexuality and it's all people robbing each other blind and manipulating each other and leveraging their strength and their power for the good of their brand while the poor and the needy suffer. In a world that is doing that, Paul says, let me teach you how you can conduct yourself in the name of Jesus. He's talking to all of us. He's not talking to three or four ballers. He's not talking to one bishop. He's not talking to a few people who've been to seminary. He's saying, I'm writing this letter to you. I've gotten locked up, so I'm writing you this letter so that all of you know how to carry the name of Jesus. And this, as you trace back to the beginning of our Old Testament story in the book of Exodus, this is exactly what we see. The people want one person. They want Moses to go up to the mountain of God, climb Sinai, hear what God thinks, and come down and tell us, and then we'll just be robots. And God rebukes them through Moses, and he says to Moses, and unto me you all shall be a kingdom of priests. Not three or four of you, not Moses and his brother and his sister, not just kind of the special people who've studied theology. I want all of you to climb the mountain of God. I want all of you to look me in the face. I want all of you to live in my presence. I want all of you to be semnos, dignified. I want all of you to be a kingdom of priests. And these are the words that you are to go down and tell the Israelites. Tell them, I want all of you to climb. I want all of you in my presence. I want all of you to be leaders. I want all of you to carry my name. We read this text and we go, yeah, God, raise us up a few good church leaders. No, raise us up. Make us decent. 
Make us holy. Make us a peace be still. Can you imagine? With the kids upstairs tonight, we're gonna have 650, maybe 700 people in this place for church. Imagine if 700 people had the dignity of the Spirit settle on us. And we went out into the Pikes Peak region and someone we go to work on Monday and they try to bait us with a political joke or some kind of jab or some sideways deal or they're trying to gossip and we just, we just don't play by those rulers, rules and we become a peace be still in our workplace. By the way, that's the goal. That's the call of the Christian. It's not, let's get a few Joel Osteens and let's get a few Brady boys and let's get a few people who just know how to speak real good. No, all of us rising to the level of the calling of God, all of us bearing the name and the, 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 the image of God, all of us carrying Jesus into our lives. And if we would do this, if all of us would become like this, the world shifts, the kingdom comes. I'll just say God isn't sending a few leaders that can make up for everyone else's madness. He's sending leaders that can call the rest of us into wholeness. All of us into wholeness. Become a congregation of the semnos, the dignified, the sane, the solid, the stately, those worthy of respect. That's what I want. That's what I'm praying for. When I think about you during the week, that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that you would live face to face with God. I'm praying that you would open the scriptures and that your face would light up like Moses so they gotta put a veil over your face when you go to work because you're just so radiant with the glory of God. That you would walk into situations and you would have the word of the Lord, that you would bring composure everywhere you go in a world that's drunk on madness. What's the result of all this? Why does any of this matter? I'll ask, what happens when we become a congregation of dignified saints? I'll say two things, very simple. What happens when we become a congregation of dignified saints? The first thing is a place is preserved for the presence of God. Do you know how special this is? Like I hope, I hope you just step back every once in a while and think what a gift it is to be able to come to a place on a weekly basis and sometimes multiple times a week where kids are dignified and taught the scriptures, where kids are having a blast in the presence of the Lord, where we're opening up the, the worship service and, and the spirit falls and people are tearing up and we're hugging each other and praying for each other and standing with each other and sharing our resources with and for each other. And then we say, come Holy Spirit, let the scriptures make us new and we come together what happens when we live as the dignified saints there's this place preserved for the presence of God in a world that's losing its mind the saints would say I was glad when they said to me let's go up to the house of the Lord because there's something that happens when the saints gather and Jesus said the same thing wherever two or three of you are gathered together in my name there I am in the midst of you a place is preserved for the presence of God where the kingdom life comes on the earth as it is in heaven Paul exhorted the church leaders to preserve a place for the presence of God he says I come to you I hope to but I'm writing these things to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church. And the Greek word there, some of you will know it, it's the ecclesia. It's the ecclesia, it's the, the gathering of God. It's the church of the living God. This is the church. The church is the place where God makes his home in the world. And, and some of you will say, yes, God is everywhere. And of course, God is everywhere. But the church is the densest concentration of the presence of God in the world. 
right? So God is everywhere. God's up on the mountaintop on Sunday morning when I just wanna skip church and go hiking because I love connecting with God. That's great, God's there too, but it's not the densest concentration. The gathering of the saints is the densest concentration of the presence of God in the world. You can't lay hands on yourself out in the mountains and pray for healing. (laughs) You can't lay hands on yourself and pray for Semnos and you can't correct yourself. No, you got to be in the life of the people of God. And when you live among each other and you bless each other and you forgive each other and you pray for one another and you repent and you bless each other's children, when we live this way, there is this really dense concentration of the presence of God in the world. And I don't know about you, but I can't live my life without you in the presence of God. I will lose my mind, I will lose my salvation, I will be a very terrible human being if I'm not every week at least once coming into the presence of God with the people of God, I have lost myself and I have lost my identity and I'm not okay. And you go, yeah, you're a pastor, you have to say that. No, I don't. I'm a Christian. And I've lived this story for 40 years in the house of God. And I wouldn't know who I am without this weekly gathering, the ecclesia, the house of God on planet earth where stuff happens and where healing comes and repentance penetrates our hearts and we leave this place to go be the people of God in the Pikes Peak region. Friends, a place is preserved for the presence of God when we live this way. We can help each other stay clean. We can help each other stay solid. We can help each other grow to be wholesome and holy. We can create a front row experience for people to find themselves in the presence of God. We can see little Caleb Lees rise up all of their life and celebrate their ninth birthday. Like he brought ice cream to church tonight. Before service, we had 150 people having dinner and ice cream because Caleb said, I wanna give them all ice cream for my birthday. Like the place is preserved where the presence of God marks us as the people of God. Please don't take this for granted. Please don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. Please don't think you can just be a great Christian up in the mountains by yourself. You can't. You can't. Jesus says where two or three are gathered in my name, where the people of God come together, that's the densest concentration of the presence of God on the planet. Gather with the saints. What happens when we become a congregation of dignified saints? The second thing is the greater public is provoked toward holiness. You see, there's kind of an, uh, an inside element here and there's an outside element here. Like we have to help take care of each other. We have to pray for each other's kids. We have to help our elderly find their rest. We have to just stand and walk life with each other. There's an inside, like the people who call on the name of Jesus. But as we do this, we also become a provocation to those on the outside going, How in the world, I know those people don't all vote the same. How do they love each other? I know those people don't all make the same amount of money. They're not in the same tax brackets. How do they worship together at the same table? I know that's not just, you know, a club that loves this or a club that loves that. Like there's people there from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group, from every persuasion, from every socioeconomic situation, and they're gathered together in unity every single week Who else does that on planet earth? And the people who are watching us go, I kind of need to know about this because I don't have that anywhere else. We become a provocation to the outside world. Oh my, there's a group that's relatively sane. 
oh my. You go to some political rally, either side of the aisle, there's not a whole lot of sanity in the room. Watch the news. These people gather and they're frosting at the, it's wild. We come in here and we lift up holy hands and we go, come Holy Spirit, and we, we repent. Would you tenderize our hearts? Would you make us holy? Would you make us clean? Would you help us to love our enemies? Would you help us to feed those who don't have what they need? Lord, would you make us holy? That's not happening anywhere else in the world. And when people watch us over the course of years, and then sometimes it takes decades, to just live as a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. And we continue to be those that forgive others. And we continue to be those who are generous. And we continue to be those who open our doors to anyone who wants to come in here. If you want to come in the presence of the God, welcome. And you do that for decades. And all of a sudden the world just goes, uncle. I, I don't know where else I can find that. On planet Earth, friends, we become a provocation to the outside world. T.L. Johnson, great thinker, great writer, was looking at this list of elders and deacons and leaders. And, oh, by the way, this is what all the people of God ought to be aspiring to. All of us rising into wholeness and holiness and sanity. And he wrote, fidelity to one's spouse. He's looking through the list. Sobriety and hospitality, they may seem trivial virtues to those who identify authentic faith with momentary conversion, you know, big altar call moments or a single spasm of heroism. heroism. Like people who think that faith is this big moment and it's always this explosive thing and it's not just the daily faithful thing. He says, uh, but to those who have lived longer, Finding a leader who is truly a lover of peace and not a lover of money can be downright exciting. <laughs> it doesn't take much. It's not all the complex, hard stuff that we have to get great at. It's the simple, faithful, daily, ordinary, routine, showing up, keeping your word, blessing those around you, living when children come into your presence. Do children light up with joy or do they feel rejected? Like just being decent and not leveraging your power to work somebody over, but leveraging any strength that you have to make other people jump off your shoulder. Where's that happening in the world? And Paul says, when the people of God lead like this and aspire to this and grow up into this list, the world pays attention. A year ago last week, I was in Nashville. I just released my second book and they brought me out there to do a couple recordings and a couple podcasts, and it was a great run. I was there for like 12 hours. And I was getting on a flight late that night. I was exhausted, and you know, I still had on nice clothes from the, the interview. And I sit down at corner, you know, up against the window on this southwest flight. It was the only thing left. You know, I was like C-59, you know? <laughs> and I crawl in the plane like this, and you know, everyone on a plane wants to look fat, you know? Don't sit by me. It's a miserable experience to sit by me. It only happens on Southwest where you get to pick, right? Everyone else when you're assigned, but on Southwest, everyone's just swollen, you know? Don't sit by me. And so everyone's giving me the death stare, like, don't sit by me. And I'm walking down, and finally, I, there's only a window seat left, and I'm just crawling. And there are these two very nice ladies, and I sit down, and I'm exhausted, and I just... And I go... Hi. 
we're gonna be here for three hours, we might as well just be on decent terms. And what's your name? And there was a lady on the aisle. So I was on the window, this lady, really nice lady here. And the lady on the aisle goes, hi, I'm Teresa. And I go, Teresa, hey, I'm Daniel. We're talking and we, we talked for three hours. And I don't normally do that and you probably don't normally do that, but there was like a grace on it. It was like, honestly, the Holy Spirit was in row 27, like D, E, and F. It was like, and I felt it right away, like lean into this, something's happening here. Don't just mail it in, don't just put in your AirPods and you know, shut the world down. Like I felt a grace on it. And we're talking, and she's the sweet, Teresa, she's empty nester. I don't know if she's 60. Anyway, just bright lady and she works in cancer research and she's helping people and she's just, and she's on this spiritual journey. She's on this like talking spiritual language. I can tell she's open. And she goes, what are you doing in Nashville? And I said, well, I just wrote this book and I was doing a couple interviews. And she goes, you wrote a, you've written a book? And I said, yeah. And she goes, do you have one? I said, I have one. I just have one. And she goes, please, can I have it? And I said, you can have it. So I give it to Teresa. I sign it. She's got to sign it. Gotta. And I wrote my, I found out she lived in Colorado Springs. And we're, so we're just chumming up. She goes, give me your phone, phone number. So I gave her my phone number and she gave me her phone number. And she goes, what do you do? <laughs> Which is the dreaded question for every pastor. I go, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. I just teach people things from books. I'm a teacher. No, I told her. I was, I, I've learned to just, just pierce through the darkness. I'm a pastor. Normally it just shuts. Oh, check, please. She's putting her AirPods in. You know, I'm just, you're a pastor. I go, yeah. She goes, what church? <laughs> you may have read about us. <laughs> New Life Church. She goes, one of my best friends in the world goes to New Life. And I love her. I've known her for 20 years. You're a pastor. Get out of here. Do you know? And she, we start talking. I go, yes. And we're going back and forth. And she goes, when's the next like, thing? When is the thing that you're doing? And I go, well, Wednesday night, we've got this thing called First Wednesday. This Wednesday, we're doing a thing. And we're going to have music and we're going to do things. And we're going to pray. And I know you're spiritual and it's beautiful. You should come, Teresa. And she goes, I am gonna get my husband and we will be there on Wednesday night. It was so great. And we stood up and as the plane landed, and I'm getting off the plane, Teresa goes, hey everyone. God is my witness. God is my witness. He just wrote a book. It released this week. It's called The Power of Place. He signed it for me. He gave me his cell number. Everyone, he wrote a book. And he, you know, she was like, go on Amazon tonight. All of you, order this. My sales skyrocketed. It was, uh, guys, three hours before, I was, you know, everyone looked fat. And no one wanted to look me in the eyes. And I finally sit down. And right away the spirit falls and there's something, I didn't do this. 
The Spirit did this. The Spirit is looking for people who will be looking. And she came on Wednesday night with her husband and sobbed for an hour. And she ran down to the stage afterwards, sweetest lady. Like I thought, I just want to be your friend. And she came down with tears in her eyes and she goes, I have no idea what happened here tonight. I loved it. She came back on Sunday. She came back the next first Wednesday. She hasn't, this last Sunday after I preached, she comes down to the, a year later. She goes, do you remember me? I go, of course I remember you. Throw 27 D, E, and F. (laughs) And she said, we haven't missed a first Wednesday since and we come every Sunday and she's sobbing as she's telling me this a year later and she goes, we love this place. God is so good. And the Holy Spirit is... You know what made the whole thing possible? Is when I said New Life Church, she goes, my friend goes there. And she's my favorite. You know what could have happened? Oh yeah, I work with one of those New Lifers. She's a punk. She said, are you serious? One of my favorite people on the planet goes there and you go there too. You seem decent. There's two decent people that go to new life. Well, I should go see what's happening. Friends, when we live this way, the world goes, I don't even, what is this? And, and a year later, just be nice. Be semnos. Be dignified. Be sane. Be stately. Be be a person of your word. Do the simple things well. Keep showing up. Be on time. Be generous. Be the one that lifts the staff meeting. Be the one that smiles. Be the one that doesn't gossip around the water cooler. Be the one who's quick to go help people move into a new house when everyone's saying, I'm busy, I'm busy. And you just go, yeah, in the name of Jesus, I will serve you. I'll give you whatever I have. I can't do it all, but I can do some things and I'll be decent. And sometime, someday when someone shows up on a plane and they say they follow Jesus too, that's gonna be two of us. (laughs) Dignified, simple, leaders, peace be still people in the world. So I wanna put this list up in front of you again. What's the list? Above reproach. If you're married, stay committed to the marriage. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Be respectable. Be hospitable. When someone asks you a question, do your best to tell them the story. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Do you know that gentleness is a superpower today? Not quarrelsome. (laughs) It's like Paul was thinking about us when he wrote this. Not a lover of money, strong in household relationships, and well thought of by outsiders. And Paul says, if the church, all of you, not one or two Moses figures, not the Pope, not all of you, 
become dignified, semnos kind of people. Look up in 20 years. Look up in 30 years. Look up in 50 years and tell me if the kingdom of God did not come on the earth as it is in heaven. Because it will. So friends, tonight, I'm calling you to live this list. Get up in the morning and open 1 Timothy 3 and just look through it and pray through it and see where you need a little checkup. This is your little 15-point inspection. How am I doing? I'm doing good there. I'm doing pretty good there. I'm doing pretty... And say, come Holy Spirit, help me to grow in this. Help me to be sane. Help me to be solid. Help me to be stately. Help me to be one worthy of respect and bring the kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. Friends, when you live this way, the church thrives and the outside world is provoked and you look up as an old person and you go, somehow God got it done. Can you say amen tonight, church? Stand with me. The band's gonna come. We're gonna receive communion, but what I want us to do, can you put that list back up, the full list? I want you to just look real quick. We'll practice together, and then you can try this in the morning. Look at the list and see where you need to invite the Spirit to give you strength. See where you need the Lord to heal you. See where you need the Lord to strengthen you, where the Lord needs to provoke you tonight or correct you tonight. Just look through this list and, and before we receive communion, I want you to grab one or two of them that you wanna bring before the Lord and say, Lord, heal me there. Make me stronger there. Make me faithful there. Make me fruitful there. Heal me in Jesus' name. Let's close our eyes now and begin to put those in front of the Lord tonight as an act of repentance. Not shame, not embarrassment, Not the Lord here to beat you up. That's not what's going on. It's the Lord here to make you whole. It's the Lord here to strengthen the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do a deep work in our souls tonight. We pray that you'd make us the people of God again tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would minister the gift of grace to these areas of weakness in our hearts these areas of weakness in our interior lives, these areas of weakness maybe in relationships. Lord, heal us tonight. Holy Spirit, we say you have full permission. Can you just tell the Lord there's nothing off limits in you tonight? Maybe that's one of the most beautiful invitations. There's nothing that I'm keeping away from you. Everything's on the table, Holy Spirit. Heal us tonight. Friends, scripture says, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not mad at you. You know the Lord is smiling real big tonight. Smiling that you would say there's nothing off limits. Come and heal me. The Lord is so pleased tonight. I can feel his pleasure. So Lord, make us the people of God and we pray that we would be an evangelistic community by living this way. Make us dignified. Make us clean. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Would you take your communion elements? If you don't have communion elements, raise your hand. Our team is ready to come through the room right down here. We've got a few. 
down here in the front row. Raise your hand if you don't have them. We'll, we'll get them right to you. Right over here. Very good. Thanks, Dan. Would you open that up and grab that little wafer there? Break that wafer in half. Hold it in your hands and look at it. And imagine you're sitting at the table with Jesus that night and somehow, some way, mysteriously by the Spirit, tonight you are sitting at the table with him. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. I want you to hear tonight, Jesus is broken for you and for me and he feeds us so that we can go be broken for the world. So that we can show up on planes and be different than everybody else. So that we can show up at work and be different than everybody else. So that we can show up and be dignified in a chaotic world. So church tonight, by the spirit of God, receive dignity. <laughs> you may receive the bread tonight. Jesus is broken for you. Open that cup. Jesus took the cup that night with a bunch of hosers. Bunch of dorks. Gonna mess it up, just foot in mouth. I mean, they run out from there and just go blow the thing up, denying him and running off. And like, Jesus constantly brings us back to the table and constantly opens the cup of wine and says, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. This is a good reason just to come to church every week because they stack up real quick. Every week he's here by his spirit to go, it's okay. You're clean. You're new. I forgive you. I bless you. You're washed. If any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Tonight, if you carry shame, let it be washed away. Tonight, if you're embarrassed, Jesus isn't mad at you. It's okay. This cup is the new covenant given in his blood and your sins are being washed away. You may receive forgiveness of your sins. Drink the cup. And now can we lift our hands and just begin to worship Jesus Christ? I want that, let's just take the roof off here tonight with worship. Let's respond to his goodness as we sing this song. Come on, let's worship the Lord together.